Hello, thank you for tuning in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. And as we will see throughout this book, it's not just what God is doing through Jeremiah, it's what God is doing in Jeremiah. And Jeremiah begins to express his heartbrokenness for his people. He is heartbroken. Jeremiah was an Old Testament prophet to the people of Israel. And in recent months, Dr. Corbett has been following Jeremiah's journey as he's obeyed God and warned the Israelites of the consequences of their selfish ambition. Jeremiah didn't always feel he was winning. And tonight, Dr. Corbett recaps Jeremiah's journey and highlights Jeremiah's complaint. As we do that, as we are about to look at this text, I, I, I guess I want to remind you where we have come from and look at the, the previous 11 chapters and just kind of get a, a, just a bit of a sketch. Let's look back and, and recount what we've looked at. We opened up the book of Jeremiah looking at why it is so important. Dealing from chapter 1, the first five verses, we see that Jeremiah was someone who was called very, very young. He was called to prophesy at about the age of 12, 12, 13, somewhere in that vicinity. Even in the height of his prophetic ministry, he would have only still been in his 20s, perhaps early 30s. And I think there's a profound reason for that. And I hope we'll make that clear in a moment. So we looked at why the book of Jeremiah is so important. And one of the reasons it is so important is because in Matthew 16, Jesus asks the question of his disciples, who do people say that I am? The third option was, some say you were Jeremiah. And we went through some of the parallels between Jeremiah the prophet and Jesus the Messiah. And we saw that they were both very young when they rose to prominence in, in serving God. We saw that they remained unmarried. We saw that they prophesied in the old covenant of a new covenant. And we saw that they, they both suffered and they were both misunderstood they both described themselves as a lamb going before its shearers as dumb and so there's a lot of parallels between jeremiah and jesus so perhaps it's not surprising to make that connection we saw in also in the opening chapter that jeremiah is told not to be off put don't be, don't let them intimidate you I will be with you. And there's a sense in which God is saying to Jeremiah, I have a call on your life that I will enable you to fulfill. And we could see that in a very... not We don't have to push the envelope too hard to, to find that that kind of connection God has with his people, maybe your experience as well, that God calls you to something and perhaps you too will be misunderstood perhaps you too will find it a lonely journey we haven't yet got to the part of the book of jeremiah where we're going to discover that god gave jeremiah a friend a good friend a friend who got an entire chapter of the book of jeremiah his name was baruch uh, interestingly baruch got that chapter because he did exactly what jeremiah his friend did in chapter 12 which is what we're going to look at he whinged and complained so the lord said right we'll write a chapter about you and so that's about Jeremiah 45. So there's an, the individual in the eyes of God matters. We saw generally, if we were to look at 
this first section, we would call it the call of Jeremiah. And within that call, the call was to deliver God's challenge to God's people. So Jeremiah was giving the people of Israel a challenge. And the challenge was very simple. Amend your ways, amend your heart, amend your ways and come back to God. And it was about the time, you recall, when King Josiah had rediscovered the law of Moses. Sounds strange that Israel had actually, for a hundred and something years, had actually lost the Bible. Anyone seen the Bible? You know, it was, like it was lost. And they found it uh, sealed in a wall of the temple. And they, they pulled out these leather scrolls and they, they brought it before the king and they read it. And it was what's called the Book of the Covenant, which is essentially Exodus chapter 20 to 24. The, that's called the Book of the Covenant. And when they read that, they realized why they were having so many difficulties and why the hand of God was not for them but against them. And it led to great repentance. And at that time, that's when Jeremiah started prophesying. And this became his challenge. You you now know the law, return to it. And we saw in chapter 11 that Jeremiah also reminds them of the covenant. You know the covenant, return to the covenant. So Jeremiah's challenge. We saw in the uh, opening verses of chapter 2 Genesis of uh, Jeremiah chapter 2 that Jeremiah has gone from seeing the word he's gone from seeing visions and some of the visions that Jeremiah experienced were absolutely amazing and and perhaps for those of us who have been walking with the Lord a few years you know that you could probably look back on your life if, if you assuming you were a passionate Christian and you could probably say, boy, there were times that when I kind of, I seemed to hear God really easy. I, I heard God so readily. I knew what God was saying to me. I even felt God. And here we have the prophet who's, who's growing into, into a different kind of relationship with God. He's growing from that. Not that that's immature or bad, but, but it is characteristic of God that he will deal very deliberately. And it seems as God takes his child deeper into a relationship with him god lowers his voice anyone found that so jeremiah is hearing the word of the lord and i think that's a part of maturity as well jeremiah reminds israel that they had forgotten the relationship they had with god he uses some very stark language he says it's as if a bride was still wearing her wedding dress was on her way to her wedding feast and she went out for a date with someone else and she forgot that she was actually now a bride as if a bride could just forget she got married and and jeremiah is saying the relationship that you israel god's people technically southern israel which is known as judah the relationship that you have with god is as if you are still wearing a wedding dress and yet you've forgotten that you've just been married in other words how absurd for you to say oh we, we forgot we forgot about god absolutely absurd that was the fifth part that we looked at in the sixth part we looked at what the people claimed was their pursuit of freedom jeremiah don't give us all these laws this is based out of jeremiah chapter 2 verses 14 down to about verse 26 where we saw the people said don't don't you put this law on us don't you condemn us we want freedom we want our freedom and jeremiah is saying the very thing you 
thought you were running from and running to was the very thing that was enslaving you. It's a, it's a profound point made by the prophet Amos who had made the point just a little bit earlier on the timeline to Jeremiah. He has this obscure verse, I think it's, uh, what is it, Amos chapter 5, where, where the prophet Amos is similarly pleading with the people and he says this, when God approaches you, it's as if you are running, it's as if you think you are running from a lion. You run from a lion and you encounter a bear. You run from the bear and you run to your homes. You put your hand on the wall and go, ah, I'm home, only to get bitten by a snake. In other words, every time you run from God, because you think God is like a lion, he's a tyrant, you run into a real lion. You run into something that's far worse. You run into the very thing you thought you were running from. You run to a bear. You then run home where you think you are safe and secure. In your security, where you think you are free, you put your hand on a wall and you're actually bitten by a snake. The kind of freedom the world offers will bite people. It will bite and it will hurt and it will be deadly. And the prophet Jeremiah says, the kind of freedom that you're pursuing is not real freedom at all. In part seven, we see the prophet pleading with the people. Again, this is taken out of uh, uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter 2 and 3, uh, the early part of J Jeremiah 3, where he's pleading with the people, come back to God. Come back to God. And what's significant about this is that he hasn't yet begun to catalogue their sins. He's talked in terms of general unfaithfulness. And he's saying at this point, you can come back to God. It's never too late to come back to God. He then says that, the root cause of why the people had gone into such sin is because the shepherds had failed to do their job. And in Israel, there were essentially two streams of what God calls shepherds. There, there were those who were priests who were responsible to teach the word of God. And the prophet Jeremiah says, you have failed to do your job. Now, there's lots of things I can do for you as your pastor. I could visit you, I could drink lots of tea with you, I could play squash with you, I could eat your fish, I could, I could, I could do all these things. And, and I, I could, you know, become the nice pastor, always kind of like Santa Claus. And I probably, if I did that, if I lived that lifestyle, I'd probably end up looking like Santa Claus too. But the primary job of a shepherd is to feed sheep protect sheep and the way we protect sheep is in the realm of our thinking our minds and if you look at first corinthians 10 where it talks about battlefields was it second corinthians 10 where it says paul paul writing says we pull down strongholds every thought that exalts itself against god so the realm of shepherds is to get alongside people. I hope I smell like sheep. I hope I'm not aloof. I hope I'm there. But I hope you also understand, I see what Scripture says, that the job of the shepherd is to feed the sheep the Word of God, to lead sheep where there's food, to protect sheep from wolves. And what are the wolves that seek to attack? Wrong doctrines. The twisting of Scripture. So the prophet Jeremiah says these two streams of shepherds, one were the priests who had failed to do their job, and the other one was the, the, the civic 
leaders. These were the princes, the kings and the, pre, uh, the, the princes who were supposed to be spiritual leaders, even though they were what we might call civic leaders. They were supposed to shepherd people as well. The prophet then calls the people to repent. So we read in Jeremiah uh, 4 and 5 his message of repent, turn around, come back to God. And you can see at this stage it's still not too late. But the people were resisting Jeremiah. They were not hearing what he had to say. And so the prophet declares judgment was about to come. Judgment was now inevitable. And the prophet says that there will come from the north judgment upon Israel. And at that time, the north, the biggest power to the north, was a a country called Assyria. And the country of Assyria today is the region of Iran. And the Assyrians, if you've seen some of those... uh, movies um uh the the 300 um and and those sorts of movies that that features around that time frame where the assyrians were the world empire they were brutal they were bloodthirsty but yet jeremiah is going to go on and say it's not going to be the assyrians it's going to be the babylonians and and you can hear the people scoff the babylonians it's like saying tasmania will conquer the world like the babylon the baba who the Babylonians, Jeremiah, you are off your rocker. But this is the word of the Lord, that there would come a ruler out of Babylon who would, who would conquer. And he would come and he would plunder and he would take the people ex, into exile, which means he would take them all as prisoner and, and send them back to Babylon. It was unthinkable at the time, but it happened. In fact, on a world, world empire scale in human history the babylonian empire is actually one of the smallest ever to have happened which is remarkable that god allowed it to happen it's also remarkable that in daniel chapter 2 when daniel is talking with the very king that jeremiah prophesied and of course daniel would have been if jeremiah was about 20 23 24 when he was prophesying at the peak of his ministry daniel would have been probably around about seven eight nine years of age and Daniel would have, Daniel, we know Daniel listened to Jeremiah. We know that because it, it's, re, it's recorded in Daniel chapter 9 that Daniel had a copy of the words that Jeremiah uttered. So he, he was very familiar. And when Daniel describes Nebuchadnezzar, this Babylonian king, he describes him as the, the head of gold, the preeminent world emperor of all time, which is a bizarre thing because on a purely natural point of view, there's no way. Babylon uh, as an empire is just a tiny little thing. But he's the only world emperor that ever repented and gave his life to God and commanded his empire to worship the true God. You remember that? Daniel chapter 2. And for that, God honoured him. You're the, you're the emperor of gold. Amazing. Judgment was to come, Jeremiah says. Now he begins to list their sin. An appalling and a horrible thing has happened. What was happening in Jeremiah chapter 5 that was so appalling, so horrible? It was this. The priests and the prophets, so-called prophets, were telling the people of Israel what they wanted to hear. The priests and the prophets were not confronting the sin of the people. And as a result, Jeremiah says, this 
is an appalling and a horrible thing. And he says this, And my people love it so. They love it. They love being told what they want to hear. They love being told that their sin is not that big a deal. They love being told things that are a direct twisting of Scripture. And Jeremiah calls it an appalling and a horrible thing. And finally, as he's about to list their sins, he he invites them to ask for the ancient paths. It's still not too late. Return back to the Lord. Come back to that which is ancient. He then reminds the people that if they are trusting in the temple, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, this is where God dwells. God would never come and destroy his temple. After all, this is where he lives. How could he destroy his own home? The prophet says, remember Shiloh? Shiloh was where the tabernacle of Moses was parked. And that, that was just, as you came out of Jerusalem and came down the hill, went around the corner, and you went past Shiloh, you would see this ratty, tatty, sort of torn, weathered tent. That was once where the Shekinah glory of God manifested. And Jeremiah says, have a look at it. You think God won't abandon the temple? Have a look at Shiloh. Remember Shiloh. Anyone seen Shiloh lately? He asks, because God is not confined to a place. That's why we don't need to go to a holy land. We are in one right now. Praise the Lord. Jeremiah talked about some of the, now he begins to list their sins and as he lists their sins he catalogues their sins and one of their sins was sexual immorality before what they called the queen of heaven of course sex without marriage is called fornication sex when you, you are married but it's sex outside of your marriage relationship is called adultery and the prophet jeremiah says the priests the prophets the leaders of israel were leading people into adultery both spiritually and in the natural and jeremiah says this is indicative of where your heart's at your heart is smug your heart is in rebellion to god and the prophet then pinpoints this belief that if you had sex in front of this particular statue before something that was supposed to represent the moon and before another statue which was meant to represent the sun this is apparently molech and astarte and apparently if you have sex before these statues your crops will be blessed you'll be blessed you'll have lots of money and the women would come and they would have sex with whoever in front of these things and they would offer raisin cakes round raisin cakes in the shape of the moon present it before the statue of of the queen of heaven and this was meant to be a fertility rite and a blessing rite and jeremiah absolutely condemns this practice he condemns the very notion of a queen of heaven heaven has no queen it has a king and his name is jesus so we read there that when jeremiah begins to catalog their sins we've now gone past the call to repent we've now gone past the invitation to return you may hear the holy spirit invite you come back to me come back to me come back to me and i hope you never hear what israel heard i hope you never hear god say because you have refused i now reject you may you never hear that but may you never put yourself in that position to even come close because now we read god telling jeremiah for the first time and he says it to him twice at least jeremiah stop praying 
for these people. They refuse to repent, therefore stop praying for them. We find that in Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 16 to 20. We see that Jeremiah condemns them for rejecting God, condemns them for refusing to hear God, and we we called this making religious candles from spiritual earwax, where the people were just becoming so deliberately, intentionally deaf to what God was saying, yet at the same time, they were being religious. They were going to the temple. They were wearing the religious clothing. They were offering religious sacrifices. They were participating in all of the things that religious people do. And God is not interested in religion. God is not interested in religion. Mark Driscoll's written a book called Religion Saves and Other Myths. Because religion doesn't save. Only Jesus saves. It's not what you do. And then we saw in Jeremiah 7 where the list of sins culminates in this atrocious sin where they were taking their very young children and they were throwing them into a furnace at a place called Tophet in the valley of Gehenna, the the valley of the son of Hinnom. And they were throwing their babies into this furnace as an offering to this sun and moon god, Moloch and Ashtate. And they were claiming that as they offered up their symbol of fertility, they would become even more fertile. They could enjoy more of the blessings of life if they sacrificed their children. And I think the application for today's society is immediately obvious with how we treat children and especially the unborn. Gehenna, we saw the horrible picture of of people being thrown into this furnace and screaming in agony. Gehenna, and Jesus picks up on this. He actually uses the word Gehenna to describe hell. And then we saw that Jeremiah challenges the people's heart to treasure God. You can worship and serve God on the outside, but if your heart is far from him, you won't enjoy him the most. And as we will see throughout this book, it's not just what God is doing through Jeremiah, it's what God is doing in Jeremiah. And Jeremiah begins to express his heartbrokenness for his people. He is heartbroken. He's feeling the word of God. And we see what happens when God punishes. It's never unannounced he will always discipline before he punishes and we've seen that it's best that if you're sensing the conviction of the holy spirit now and the discipline of god accept it allow the holy spirit to discipline your life it's far better to be disciplined in this life than to go into the next and be punished accept the discipline of god now and the and jeremiah pleads who understands what i'm saying who really understands we saw that in jeremiah chapter 9 So the close of Jeremiah chapter 9, no basis for boasting. And then Jeremiah begins to indict the people. In chapter 10, he he introduces them to the contrast between God and the idols they were worshipping. He says, there is no God like our God. And we saw that he goes into that section in chapter 10 and he talks about God being the Lord of the universe, which, you know, if we fail to understand that they're worshipping the moon and the sun... The stars of the sky as the children of the moon and the sun. You'll fail to understand that when Jeremiah says God created the moon, God created the sun, God placed the stars in the sky. You'll, you'll kind of fail to hear what really Jeremiah is saying. But Jeremiah, as we sum this up, is saying God is the Lord of the entire universe. That was part 23. We saw uh, in part 24 that Jeremiah was the broken hearted prophet 
we see occasionally interwoven between Jeremiah prophesying is Jeremiah praying. He stops looking this way and he looks up and he talks to God and we get a, a glimpse of his heart. And it's a reminder for us that when we say to the world, there is no other way to heaven, there is no other way to God but through Jesus, that we don't say it with a, and if you don't accept that, you can go to hell for all I care. That's not our heart. Our heart is broken. The God, the author of salvation, if God, the omniscient God, is going to come up with the best way of salvation, presumably he's omniscient, he knows the best, the omniscient, all-knowing God is going to come up with the best way of salvation. By definition, if you've got the best way of salvation, how many have you got? One. And we saw last time we met the price that you have to pay to be a prophet. And Jeremiah was rejected by his countrymen. Jeremiah was being persecuted by his own family. Jeremiah paid a, a heavy price. The Lord later appears to him and says, Jeremiah, you shall never marry. He complains about it. And now we're going to pick it up. And I'm not going to go very long now looking at this section. So let's have a look here. We're now in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1. Father, as we open your word, we pray that you'll speak to us. Give us ears to hear and to help us hear your voice, I pray. Amen. We're just going to look at these six verses and then close. This is Jeremiah and his complaint. This is Jeremiah's complaint. And we start the second section now. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1. As we look at this, I want you to realize Jeremiah is about to complain. And here's my question. How should you complain to God? How should you complain to God? If you've ever had a complaint to God, you're human. If you've ever had a complaint for God, you're probably a Christian. If you've never had a complaint about God and his dealings and his word and his ways in your life, you're probably, you're probably uh, either dishonest and for that... Um, I don't judge you because I probably am too most of the time and I don't want to be, but we all have complaints. We all have complaints. We all utter that, that, that deadly three-letter word, why, 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 God, why? We, we complain. How should we do it? I want you to notice some of the things that Jeremiah did in this section, perhaps as a model for us, how we complain. Well, what do you do when people complain to you? So here's the question. As we look at this, I'm looking for immediate application here. How should you respond when people complain to you? If instead of becoming defensive and dismissing them and telling them they don't know what they're talking about, perhaps we need to go, thank you. I know you're sharing that with me because you care. I know you're sharing that with me for my benefit. I'm going to treat what you're sharing as a gift I would have otherwise had to pay a lot of money to learn. I'm just going to write that down because that's brilliant. I, I, I'm preaching myself here. So here's the next question. Why do people complain? I actually think motive for complaining is, is a really important thing to determine. Some people complain because they hate you. <laughs> uh, I laugh because that's usually my experience. But, but <laughs> some people complain because they actually do want to help you. In fact, if you don't have anybody in your life complaining about you to you, you probably don't have anyone who cares. Now, kids, this might put your parents in a completely different light. And I hope it does. Because if you've got no one challenging you, if you've got no one complaining about what you did, the way you did it, how you did it, how long it took you to do it, I'll tell you right now, no one cares about you. You may think they do, but they don't. If you've got people who say, hey, come on, pick your game up. That wasn't very good, you know. You, you, you can do better than that. 
Well, what would you know? Now, that's how I handle it. Now, don't, don't you do everything opposite to the way I do it. Watch how I do it and do the opposite. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? And the next few verses, it's kind of the same vein. Hey God, this is not fair. I'm serving you here. I'm giving you my very best. I'm giving you my all. I'm paying my tithe. I'm putting in an offering. I'm doing everything. And these slackers over there, they're prospering. They're driving the great, great big new chariots. Their horses have got mag hoofs on them. And these guys are ticking me off. I've been prophesying now for 12 chapters and I would have at least expected the odd lightning bolt by now. You ever feel like that? Every day. <laughs> so you got the idea. Now, he's not, Jeremiah's not the only one to make this complaint too because we see this in Psalm 37 where it says, fret not because of evildoers when it looks like they're prospering. When it looks like they're prospering, don't fret. Relax. Because sometimes we have completely the wrong perspective on life. In fact, if you, if, if you kind of hang on, and I'm being very serious. If you hang on during the times that you, you think are really tough, chances are you'll be able to look back pretty soon and go, hey, I got through it. It wasn't that bad. And for those of us that have lived a few years, we can look back at those really tough times in our life where we did not know how we'd get through. We did not know how we'd get that bill paid. We did not know how we could get out of bed that morning and face that person that, we, that churns our stomach, and we, yet we did, and we got through it. God gets you through it. So I want to come down now to verse 5. And this is one of my favorite Bible verses. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? And see, what's going on here? See, often we complain about stuff that we're going through now when in fact what God is putting us through, God is putting us through. And God is putting us through in order to toughen us up for what's coming up. And here he's saying, hey, man, your destiny is to run with horses. And at the moment, you're jogging with people. And you're not keeping up. Man, you reckon you've got something to complain about now? Unless you get with the program when you have to run in front of a pack of horses, you know what complaining is all about. So in other words, sometimes God's dealings in our lives, as tough as they are, are really nothing. Even though we complain about it, they're really nothing. They're designed to make us stronger for what... Imagine this, you know, I'm complaining, God, because I'm not getting everything I thought I'd get. Well, hang on, why are you serving me again, says the Lord? Are you serving me so you can be, so you can be successful, so you can prosper, whatever that looks like? Is that why you're serving me? How about you serve me because you love me? How about you serve me because you don't give a rip what I give you in return, because you just want me? I'm really preaching to myself here. So we don't serve God so we can be successful or prosper. And when sometimes we come to God with questions, sometimes he's got some harder questions for us. In fact, the classic example is the book of Job. 
Job is like, God, why have you done this? God, this is not fair. Why me? And God comes back to Job with 66 questions. And we can only today answer 10 of them. And the last one, we were only able to answer in the, in the, the 10th one in about the last six months. So there's still about 56 questions of the questions God asked Job that we still can't answer. Are you preparing to run with horses? Are you praying when you don't have to? Are you reading more of your Bible than you have to? Are you going to church more than you have to? Are you giving more than you have to? In other words, are you running with the footman right now? Are you running with the footman knowing that just around the corner, God may call you to run with horses? Let's pray. Father, we want to be a people who are open and responsive to you. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Now, for those, Father, who have never given their life to Christ, and you know today that if you were to die right now, you would have no more heartbeat in your body, that you would die, you would leave this planet, and you would stand before a God before whom you don't know. And if that's you, I invite you to have your sins forgiven. I invite you to come into the adoption to be adopted by God as his child. I invite you to come and be cleansed by him. Have your sins forgiven. You are just one prayer away from being made right with God. Oh God, please forgive me of my sins and come and live in my heart. A prayer like that will change your eternity, but a prayer like that will also change your life right now. And if you're a believer here and perhaps you've been going through stuff, confusing stuff, hard stuff, stuff that has caused you to slip into a complaining mindset then I just invite you to let all that go to lift your hands in worship as a statement of saying God I trust you I worship you in Jesus name Amen Jeremiah was obedient to God's call on his life, but that didn't stop him from feeling like he wasn't winning. Next week, Dr. Corbett is in Jeremiah chapter 12 for a look at the devouring sword of the Lord. We invite you to tune in. If you've missed the previous broadcasts, we have a special offer for our Finding Truth Matters listeners. Series 1 of Jeremiah the Weeping Prophet is now available and includes 26 DVDs. For a gift of $75, we'll send you the entire first series of Jeremiah on DVD. To take advantage of this offer, just go to findingtruthmatters.org and click DVD offer. You're also welcome to phone and request this special DVD offer. If you're calling locally, the number 6330 2885 in business hours. That number again, 6330 2885. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.